And instead of running and hiding and, and feeling afraid of debt, I was like, all right, let's dance, motherfucker. I'm going to share a glimpse into my own money story. Okay. Pretty much most of us in modern society are living in this paradigm of scarcity, personal finance, super basic stuff. How do you manage money? And we're not taught any of that. What's up, friends? Welcome back to another episode of Oh Hi Self. I'm your host, certified coach, inspirational speaker, lifestyle entrepreneur, digital nomad, fitness freak, and challenger of the status quo because we are all about being a rule breaker, a nonconformist, choosing the unconventional path, not to just ruffle feathers just for shits, but because over here we're all about authenticity and alignment. And at least for me, most of how I want and choose to live my life doesn't really fit the conventional roadmap. So before we go into today's episode, I just wanted to share my excitement about Dream Life Academy. Some of you are in there. I'm just stoked. We launched last Friday morning, opened the doors, and we have our first eight founding members in as of this recording. And I'm just so pleased to see the energy starting to spin around in there and see people sharing a little bit and starting to get a little vulnerable and just celebrating and getting subtle. So Two times ago, we talked about magnetism and last time we talked about lifestyle design and I was sharing that these are like some of my favorite topics and I feel really passionate about them. And that's kind of how I'm choosing to live my life these days, like just choosing how I spend my time and energy in favor of things that make me feel lit up and alive and fiery because that's just, those are some of my core desired feelings really for how I want to feel on a day-to-day basis. And so as I was choosing the topic for this week, I was kind of doing the same thing. I was like, what else has that same vibration for me right now? Like what makes me feel excited and like lit up and turned on? And it's something I care deeply about for my own life and something I want to share with the people. And then it just hit me. I was like, oh my God, duh, it has to be money. This has to be the money episode part of why I'm so fiery on this topic in particular is because it's very personal for me. You know, I like to get vulnerable and real in here. And so yeah, we're doing that today. Money, man, it has been one of the biggest challenges for me. Notice I'm using that in the past tense, mostly has been one of the biggest challenges for me. And it has now turned into one of my biggest passions. So really my goal in this episode is to open you up to the idea of transforming your own relationship with money from wherever it is now to somewhere beyond that. You know, you might have a great relationship with money, then I want to help you make it even better, you know, or you might be like, what the fuck is a relationship with money? What does that even mean? Or you might be in a position where money is literally the biggest problem and stressor in your life. So wherever you're at, that's okay. And I want to help you go from wherever you are to somewhere slightly better than that. And hopefully a lot better than that. Your relationship with money and changing it for the better, that'll be quite a game changer in so many different ways. And obviously money, um, kind of a big deal in, you know, most of our daily lives. So something that we require for the most part, and we're interacting with whether we want to or not. So we may as well have a healthy, helpful, empowering relationship with it. At least that's my take. So I am like so, so deeply grateful to all my money mentors. Most of them are not people I know personally. Most of them are teachers, you know, that I study from or with from afar. They're like people on the internet, but they're quite literally some of my favorite teachers in general. I find that when I study with money teachers, I'm often learning so much just about life and mindset and things that I can apply to not just my business, but but every part of my life, but I'm learning it through the lens of money and especially money mindset. So my teachers in that category have absolutely transformed 
not just my money mindset, but my life. So, so much gratitude to all of them. I'm celebrating how far I've come since I started my, what I would call like the great moneymaker of, of 2012, which I'll get into later. And I'm also celebrating, I still have a long ass way to go to get to the place that I would like to be or to get closer to where I would like to be financially. And the cool thing about that is that I can genuinely say I'm excited about it. And I can genuinely say that I waste little to no time on regret. Sure, if I could go back, would I do things differently? Probably a little bit with what I know now, but I, I'm i okay with it. And I'm like celebrating that my younger self did the best she could with what she had and what she knew at the time. And I know so much more now and I'm in a different place now and I'm excited to go toward my big dreams. And I'm excited to close the gap and I'm excited to be becoming the kind of person who can do that. And I'm not there yet and that's okay. And my intention around money in general is to continue my financial education. It is to take all of the practical action that I know to take and also that I don't know that yet. <laughs> it's like to learn the things that I don't know that I don't know and also to take the action on those things once I learn them. It's to be fiercely committed to my personal goal, which is financial freedom and to have like unwavering faith in my inevitable success, which is a, a belief that I'm always working on adopting Yes, for money. Yes, for my business, but also just as a human in general. And when I say success, I mean my my definition of success, not society's definition of success. It's not a specific milestone, not a destination. It's more like getting to a place where I'm being a version of myself who is creating the kinds of reality around me on a regular basis that I'm seeking. I'm going to share a glimpse into my own money story, which makes me nervous. Um, I'm going to riff a little bit on the idea of what it means to have a relationship with money, and then almost most importantly, because we're all about the practical tools up in here is I want to give you some ways that you can work on your money situation. Let's call it that both on the practical side of things and in the money mindset, some more woo things and some more energetic things are wrapped up in that as well. Here we go for my money journey. The chapters are childhood, young adulthood, which is I'm just calling that like my twenties and then adulthood, which would be thirties and forties so far. And each of these journeys has a couple of themes starting with childhood <laughs> during which the theme, now looking back on it, was basically conditioning around living in an achievement-based success paradigm and keeping up with the Joneses. Achievement-based success is like, you are worthy if you reach XYZ milestone. It's all about what, what are you doing? What, what can you achieve and accomplish? It's less about like who you are being. And what kind of person are you? <laughs> yeah, that was what I grew up with. I don't blame anyone for that, really. I think it was just so normalized. And that's what, you know, that generationally, one after the other, like, you know, each generation is kind of responding to often rebelling against or, you know, developing from what the generation before them came from and how I grew up and how our generation's parents grew up, you know, it kind of led itself to being all about achievement. And we all know what keeping up with the Joneses means. So so for me, when I look back at my childhood, um, I had an interesting mix and I won't go too deep into details here, but just real briefly, you know, I think it's a it's a mix of our, our parents, our caretakers, our family, the community we grew up with, sometimes our culture, and then of course, societal conditioning. But like, if I look at my my roots, my, you know, my parents and how I grew up, my dad in Sweden, he is like the, the consummate engineer. He is very practical. He is very methodical. He's very pragmatic. He's rational. He's logical. He also is one of the most patient and like kind of slow moving humans I've ever met. I'm actually a lot like him, which I have learned to embrace. I used to rebel against it because I thought I had to hurry up and do everything really fast. But my dad, when it comes to money, like I remember him back when I was a kid and would visit him, he had like a little expenses book that he would sit down in his office every night and write down 
Like he would track every penny. And so from him, I started learning at an early age, like the, the power in tracking your spending and really accounting for everything. He also was the first one to start teaching me about investing when I was 18. I moved in with him for a year. And then I think about how I grew up in LA. I lived with my mom and my stepdad from age five to age 14. My stepdad was a dentist in the past tense because he recently passed away. So rest in peace, Jim, honoring everything about him. So he was an influence and in how we grew up in that family and in that neighborhood from age five to 14, those are very formative years. And it was, you know, it's kind of weird. It was growing up in an affluent neighborhood, being surrounded by a lot of high achieving kids from high achieving families in, you know, a nice neighborhood. We actually went to a public school, but it may as well have been a private school with, you know, great school funding and that kind of stuff. So I didn't know any of this at the time. I just, you know, it was all I knew, but it was very competitive. And when you grew up in this rigorous academic environment with a lot of parents who are like really pushing their kids and a lot of doctors, lawyers, you know, engineers, and like future doctors, lawyers, and engineers, like that was kind of the vibe. Very much classic achievement-based paradigm, I would say, you know, get good grades, go to a good college, get a good job, do the thing, achieve, 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 which has lots of benefits. And then also lots of downsides that a lot of us didn't think about at the time. I, you know, I grew up like a, most of my friends' families all lived in nice houses. I didn't really think anything of it because I hadn't experienced much outside of that. So it just, it felt normal. After my mom and my stepdad split, uh, my mom and I moved out. I was about 14, right, right about to start high school. And uh, my mom really wanted to keep me in the same neighborhood, but we were then in a different financial situation. So from her, I was, you know, watching her just be super fucking resourceful. Like she went back to work. She stretched every dollar. She taught me how to bargain shop. She taught me how to find deals. She taught me how to go to the grocery store and compare not just the price, but the value. So we stayed in the same neighborhood, but we definitely had to adjust our lifestyle. And with her, um, I learned, you know, how to live frugally, but still prioritize the things that you value. And so, you know, she taught me like, maybe we're not prioritizing things like fancy clothes and certain material things, but we absolutely prioritize travel because that's really important. I've always traveled my whole life. We continue to travel. We just did, you know, like simpler trips. We would save up and go on a trip and then be really frugal in other areas. And then another big influence for me is just society, which I think is all of us. But, you know, it's like the pressure to have money, the pressure to make money. It's so normalized. The pressure to have nice things. Like there's like an assumption that you're going to do well and you're going to be well off because that's just what people do. But at least I have this typical kind of societal messaging around money. It's when you start actually looking at it, it's super interesting because it is like filled with contradictions. Don't have too little money, but don't have too much money but also don't talk about it. And it's rude to ask people about it. Nobody taught us about money. Nobody taught us how to think about it, how to talk about it, how to manage it. Chris and I often talk about like things we wished we had learned in school or things we think they should teach in school, but they didn't. It's things like emotional intelligence and then also money, like personal finance, super basic stuff. How do you manage money? And we're not taught any of that, at least most people I know didn't learn it in school, didn't learn it in college, didn't learn it from their families. And then we get you know, out in the real world. And we're just like WTF, like, what do we even we have no idea what to do in my family in particular? Like we didn't, we didn't super talk about it, but we didn't not talk about it. It, it was kind of like, we learned some basics. Like we all had checkings and savings accounts as kids and we could earn allowance through doing different chores and stuff like that. But just money just wasn't a big topic. And man, if I could go back and teach, you know, not just my younger self, but like all kids, the simple basics about making money, about saving money, spending consciously, you know, spending less than you make. And then automating investing and starting as early as possible with investing, like just super simple stuff, simple index funds, automated, easy peasy. You don't need to be an econ major. Like there's really basic stuff that I think we, most of us just kind of missed out on. There's a huge cost to that. You know, we look at the stats around like 
credit card debt in this country. It's wild. So that was phase or chapter one, childhood. And then chapter two, my 20s, the theme was me being the queen of side hustles and then also debt. So in college, OTCLA, I never had credit cards or anything during college. I was paying for college through a mix of scholarships and student loans. I was working part-time the whole time. And I had, you know, I had student loan debt when I graduated, which kind of most people did. It was just super normalized. Didn't think much of it. It was just, you know, like low interest. I'll just pay that off over time. Then I got into my first few years of working. And ultimately, when I got my first like real, real job, I was like, okay, I'm going to get my first credit card. And in theory, I knew how to use it responsibly, but I just like never quite earned enough to keep up with the basic cost of living in San Francisco. So over time, I'd go back and forth, but like I ultimately started kind of carrying a balance on my credit cards. And over time, when you are carrying a balance for a while, you kind of get used to it and it kind of gets normalized in your mind. And you're like, okay, this is just the way things are. You can listen to earlier episodes to hear more about my career journey when I was bouncing around before I found what I'm doing now. But during that time, I, I was pretty crafty. Like I got very creative. I was the queen of side hustles. I did all sorts of random things besides whatever job I was working at the time to make ends meet. And I actually have so much respect for that version of myself. I wish I could go back and be like, you're fucking baller. Like (laughs) nice work figuring it out. You know, I always kind of figured it out. And I was like, I I didn't spend extravagantly, nothing crazy, but it just, it, it was never quite enough. And so I ended up with some credit card debt. And then every now and then I'd, I'd figure it out. Like again, with all these side hustles, I did so much random stuff. But one thing I did, for example, was I, after much research and much soul searching, I decided to be an egg donor, which if you know me in person, you know, I talk about that very freely and I've shared it with a lot of people, but I did that and you can get paid pretty well as an egg donor. And I did it eight times, I think. So I would do something like that and I would end up with kind of a bigger chunk and then I could pay off debt and then I'd feel really good. And then eventually I'd be kind of back in the same situation. And by the way, if you have any questions about egg donation, I'm super open about it. Happy to talk about it. Happy to talk about my experience. Overall, it was very positive. I love doing it. And it was a really, really special way to be able to support these families. So here I was like, just over time, you know, I've got, I've got some, some debt growing and given the societal conditioning that I grew up with, at least in some of, you know, just my own programming, my, the message I had around that was debt is bad. Debt equals bad. And you are irresponsible if you have debt. Therefore, basically, you are bad and wrong. These days, I have a completely different mindset around debt. I give a lot of the credit to one of my favorite money teachers, Amanda Francis, who her way of describing debt is that it's just a choice to pay for something over time. No shame. It's just a choice. And it's a choice that you can make very consciously. It's a choice some of us made very unconsciously before, but it's absolutely a choice you can make and you are, you get to like not shame yourself for it. But I didn't know any of that at the time. So I was just shaming myself for it. In addition, I was also not like super on top of paying my quarterly taxes as when I was working more as a freelancer and independent contractor, and then eventually a business owner. And so then I would get behind. And then by the time tax season came around, I couldn't always afford to pay my taxes in full. And so then I ended up with, and you know, there's ways around that you get an IRS installment plan, which is lovely that they have that as an option. But I ended up with a couple of IRS IRS installment plans. I think I combined them at one point. And so it was nice to have the option, but it definitely added to the stress. So I felt like I was always behind. So I had credit card debt, I had student loan debt, and I had IRS installment plans. And ultimately, when everything came to a head, like it just kind of crept upward without me really noticing because I was kind of denying it, like not really wanting to look at it. And I was always like, I'll figure it out. And then ultimately, right around 2012, which was a, a lot was happening that year, I did this leadership training, I just like made a lot of, you know, declarations about kind of who I was and what I was trying to do with my life. It's when I met Chris, like I just everything was starting to fall into place. And then I was like, I have to look at this. 
2012, I had like $50,000 worth of debt combined between all of those things. For some of you, that's nothing. That's like a sneeze. For some of you, that's maybe like unfathomable. For most of you, maybe it's somewhere in between. For me, it was a lot. That was a big deal. I was so ashamed of it. I had told no one. It was like my dirty little secret. It was weighing on me. It was distracting me from everything else. I'm like, everything else in my life is going so well. I met this, I met the love of my life. I finally like know who I am. I'm starting my dream business, all that. But I was just like, oh, I have this big dirty secret. And so I just like couldn't take it anymore. And I, by then had, you know, understood the power of just vulnerability and sharing and courageously, you know, speaking your truth to people you trust and stuff. So I was like, I got to come clean. First person I told was Chris. We were like just in the beginning of our new relationship. And I was like, um, you want to be with me. You should probably know that I've got this thing I'm carrying around. And I told him and felt the first like real experience of what it's like when you have something you're so scared to share and then you share it and you're met with nothing but like, I'm like getting emotional just thinking about it, like being vulnerable and having the courage to share something and then being met with nothing but love and support. And like maybe the person is a little concerned and they want to help, but they're like, I'm not judging you for it. Like, thank you for sharing me. Like, we'll figure it out. So that was kind of like, you know, life-changing for me to tell him and be like, I feel so safe. You know, he's not going to... I thought he might run, run screaming in the other direction. So I was like, I should probably tell him this before we get too serious. And then he just stayed and was like, how can I help? So that was huge. And then I was like, okay, so that bolstered my courage a little bit. And the next person I told was probably the person I was most scared to tell, which was my mom. I adore my mom. We have a great relationship, but I have also always back then, at least I was always afraid to disappoint her. I was like the good girl, the people pleaser, mommy's little princess. I knew that she was not a fan of debt from her own conditioning. So telling her was really scary, but I got through it and she obviously was not happy to hear it. And she was worried, but she was supportive. And then I took that and then I told a group of people, it was like the whole cohort that I went through my leadership program. I literally wrote them an email. I entitled it my dirty little secret. <laughs> I shared everything with them because I knew they'd be supportive. And the, the cool thing was like that sparked this whole thread where most of the other people in the group responded with so much love and support. And then they also shared their own dirty little secrets. Some of them were about money. Some of them were about nothing related to money. It was like all this other stuff. You know, people were like, I've also not never told anyone. And oh my God, here's this thing. So it was just like this huge love fest of us supporting each other and everyone just like feeling relief. So after that kind of coming clean, I felt so much relief. It was like a cleared space. And then I finally had the energy and the motivation to just take responsibility. And instead of running and hiding and, and feeling afraid of debt, I was like, all right, let's dance motherfucker, you know? And I like looked at debt in the eyes and was like, okay, like I'm going to take responsibility for this. I did this. I created it. I can undo it. What's the plan? So, you know, did some research, looked at different options. And ultimately I don't necessarily recommend debt consolidation loans for most people, but in, in my case, it made sense. So I did a debt consolidation loan. I closed all of my cards, which also doesn't always make the most sense. But for me, from an emotional perspective, I was like, I need to close this chapter and I need to make all of this go away. So I closed my cards. I did a debt consolidation loan. I paid one set monthly price. I made a spreadsheet and I like gamified the shit out of it. Every day I would go in, look at my spreadsheet and I had all of my debt like lined up and I could see exactly where I was at that day. And then every time I made a payment, even if it was, you know, I had a like automated monthly thing going through, but anytime I had extra, I would add to it. And I would, you know, I'd be like 10 extra dollars and I could see myself chipping away and I could see the total balance going down, you know, it was at 50 and then went to 40 and then went to 30. And it was so motivating to see the progress that it kind of like, I was like, okay, this is actually quite satisfying. So debt ended up being this huge theme in my twenties. 
and early 30s. I mean, I look back at that chapter and there were like moments of just scrambling, you know, trying to figure out how I was going to make ends meet that month. There was moving money between accounts. You know, I had to like really humble myself and ask family and friends for little loans here and there. A a lot of it was embarrassing. And a lot of it, I, you know, I felt disappointed in myself. I felt shame. I felt so many things, but I figured it out and I got through it. And interestingly, I think at that point too, there's always like, I think it's interesting to look at the shadow side of things and be like, what benefit am I getting out of this? Like what, what, is there something about this that I like, even if it's not something I actually really want. Right. And I think I, on some level, or I know that on some level, I actually kind of enjoyed the thrill of it. It was, you know, the like, oh my God, can I make ends meet this month? How am I going to pay for this? Like in like a kinky kind of way, there was some excitement there. And, you know, if you know me, you know, I'm like allergic to boring and I like excitement. So on some totally subconscious level, I think I was like keeping myself in that stuck place for a while because I was a little addicted to the like excitement of it. So that is something I've been working on unlearning for a long time. I'm unlearning the excitement of that. And I'm learning to find the excitement in the like pretty unsexy parts of personal finance, like saving more responsibly and investing and finding, finding the excitement and the sexiness and like stability and abundance and overflow and like being on top of your shit. So those were the rocky young adult years, the the side hustle days and the debt days. And then the theme for the third chapter, which is adulthood, which is thirties and forties. And we'll be going on from here. The theme is basically transforming my mindset and catching up. So step one for me was just like pay off the debt. I, it was like my only priority. I couldn't even think about saving or investing or like any of that. I was like, I just need this gone. And even though I was changing my beliefs around what debt means, and it doesn't mean you're a bad person, it just means you're irresponsible, it just means you made some choices and now you're changing. I just like, I decided I needed it gone. And so that was my biggest priority for a long time. I remember I'd write in my journal, I'd write things like, I have zero balances every month, I'm debt free. And I, I was just like affirming, affirming and rewiring and creating new beliefs around being debt free. And eventually I paid it all off. And it was the hugest weight off my shoulders. And now I'm like obsessed with keeping my credit cards at zero. <laughs> I'm okay with certain kinds of debt, like a car loan or a car that we bought and we have a lease. Eventually I'll probably have a mortgage, but like credit cards, I choose to always pay off. Every month it's at zero. I actually do it multiple times a month. And it just feels so good. And that's like a non-negotiable for me now. I also made a game out of raising my credit score, which was like at the low point, it was like in the low 600s, which I was so embarrassed about. And now it's over 800. And I keep it there. And I'm always gamifying, like how can I get it higher? My credit cards all have pretty big limits, which I feel really proud of. And I keep the balance mostly at zero. My goal is to get close to as close as possible to a perfect 850 credit score. And like, you know, now it's about using credit cards really responsibly and using them for travel hacking. So we can do a whole episode on travel hacking later, but in short, what we do, what Chris and I do is we pay for literally everything with credit cards. So I have my business and personal ones, everything's separate, pay them off every month. And then we rack up points that we use for travel since we travel a lot. And then another theme or another part of this chapter right now is just, it's like taking radical fucking responsibility, which means tracking everything. It means knowing my numbers. It means knowing exactly how much I make. It means knowing exactly what my expenses are, exactly where my savings are at, exactly where my investments are at. So it's really practical and it's just being on top of the practical. So many of my clients that I work with, um, many of whom are way, 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 way more financially successful than me. And it's, I, I love that I get to support them in their money journey you know, I'm not teaching them how to make more money. They're way ahead of me in that game, in their career, but I'm teaching them how to be in relationship with their money because a lot of them, even though they are incredibly wealthy, they don't look at it because it, it's stressful and it makes them anxious and they don't know their numbers and they don't know what's coming in and going out. 
and it's a huge source of stress. So I love helping them get to the place where regardless of where they're at in terms of income and all of that, it's like getting them to a place where they can take radical responsibility and feel differently about it. And like, maybe even have it be kind of fun. So this is also around when I started really digging into money mindset, like in my early thirties and realizing like, okay, pretty much most of us in modern society are living in this paradigm when it comes to money of scarcity, like scarcity and fear. You know, most people I would say when they think about money, they think stress, they think anxiety, fear, shame. That's when I started realizing like, Hey, we all actually have a relationship with money. And it was also when I started realizing like our relationships with money can actually be good. They don't have to be bad. It can actually be really fun. We can gamify it. Like how can this money journey be an interesting challenge? How can this be exciting rather than so stressful like it is for most people most of the time? And that's when I really started realizing that having an abundance mindset versus a scarcity mindset like changes everything. And abundance is not just about money. You can see the world, money, time, resources, everything so differently when you see it through a lens of abundance versus scarcity. The short definition there is like scarcity is like when you assume everything is like a limited, a limited amount. And like, you know, if, if I give you one piece of the pie, then I have one less piece of the pie for me. And abundance is not that it's like, there is enough for everyone. It's a much healthier, much more helpful mindset. When I think about how I think about money now, it's just so, it's so much healthier. It's so much more helpful. It's so much more empowering. I feel calm. I feel excitement. I feel an eagerness to learn more. I feel absolute determination toward my goals. I feel optimistic. Like, do I still have my wobbles? Absolutely. Do I feel little flickers of stress here and there? Absolutely. But I trust myself. I trust the universe. And like, I still have a super long way to go, as I mentioned, and that's okay. I don't regret anything I did in the past, but now... I can't change the past, but now catching up is the game. Like I started investing and saving for retirement. I started most of that in my forties, y'all, you know, ideally we should be starting in our twenties or in our teens or in our, you know, as kids, if our parents know what's up, but I'd rather start now. Now I'm just going to try to catch up as quickly as possible. Now I know what my financial independence number, which is essentially the amount you need to have invested in order to be able to not work. I would probably still work, but I want to have the choice and I want to get to that financial independence number as soon as possible. Like I didn't have anything organized until the last couple of years. And now I'm so jazzed about looking at savings account, investments accounts, retirement accounts, and just automating everything, having it all super streamlined. You know, there's something going into all of those accounts every month, but now just, it's about bumping up the numbers. How can I bump up the numbers faster? and tap more into the beauty of compound interest. I'm definitely not an expert on any of these things, but I'm so excited to learn more. And it's been really, really helpful to have guides that I trust along the way. My current guide that I trust a lot is a woman named Amy Singster. She's such a baller. Um, she's also the leader of Unemployed Insiders, which is a finance community that I'm in. Highly recommend it if anybody wants to join me in there. Okay, so that is my personal journey with money. And then now I want to touch briefly on the idea of having a relationship with money and then also how to work on it. So having a relationship with money, it's kind of the same as like, think about having a relationship with, you know, any loved one, a partner, a family, a friend, whoever, or a relationship with yourself, a relationship with time. I really believe that it's helpful to look at anything in our life that we want to work on or improve. Like think of yourself being in a relationship with it. You know, they don't, it doesn't have to be another conscious creature. <laughs> um, it can just be an area of your life. And when we're in relationship with something, if we're not doing it consciously, if we're not doing it intentionally, then it's just, it's by default. It's our conditioning, it's our parents, it's society. Like if we don't reprogram it, we're going to be operating from our default 
operating system. It's like I was talking about last week with lifestyle design. It's like getting an iPhone and just having the factory settings and just being like, cool, I'll just go with what's here. (laughs) You know, like, no, you want your phone to be personalized. You can do the same thing with your relationship with money. And there's so many different ways to tackle this. I'm just going to kind of touch on the ways that have resonated with me and been helpful for me, but just know that there's, there are many strategies to improve your relationship with money. A really helpful starting point, I think can be to notice how you talk about money. Notice the words you use, like, are they similar to the words your parents use, your peers? You know, think about some of the classic phrases that I think most of us have heard or we hear frequently and we use them without even thinking, right? It's like money is the root of all evil. Money doesn't grow on trees. The only way to make money is to work really, really hard. Or the only way that anybody is wealthy is that they're probably lying or cheating their way to the top. Or, you know, rich people are greedy or poor people are lazy. Like it's very illuminating to start to notice your own language, the the language that you think in when you think about money, the language you use when you talk about money to your friends, to your family, and then be like, where did this come from? For most of us, it came from our family. Think about what you're saying and then think about, is this what my parents said around me growing up? So we can start to kind of see what the roots of our own language around money came from. But then we can start to ask ourselves, like, do I actually really believe this? And if so, like, if I really believe this, is it even helpful? Like, do I even want to continue to believe this? Because my beliefs are informing my thoughts, which are informing my emotions, which are informing my actions, which create my results. Like, if it hasn't been helpful up until now, like, maybe I want to look at that. And if we don't want to continue to believe the beliefs that we notice we're believing, we can change it. So how do we do that? And what do I actually want to believe instead? So it's like your relationship with money, aka your beliefs about it and your attitudes about it, will so completely directly influence how you interact with money, how you feel about money, what it's like on a day-to-day basis. And by changing your relationship with it, you can change your outcomes, i.e. more abundance, and you can change your experience, i.e. less stress, more fun, or whatever it is that you want. So just really helpful to think about money as I have a relationship with it. And what do I want my relationship with it to be like? An easy way to start figuring that out is like, what do I want most of my relationships to be like? Do I want most of my relationships with the people in my life to be stressful, manipulative, controlling, full of drama? No, I mean, teach their own, but look at what you, what would you want with all your people? And then that's probably a clue as to what kind of relationship you would want with money. I want my relationships to be like deep and fulfilling and exciting and collaborative and creative and, and fun and playful and adventurous and like, spicy and interesting. And that's exactly what I want with money too. I don't want my relationship with money to be full of stress and shame and regret and resentment and judgment like it used to be. I want it to be fun and playful and like calm and confident and cool. And, and it is, and it's always work in progress. So how do we actually work on said relationship with money? And again, there are many ways here and there are many, many amazing money teachers and experts out there who can help with this, but I'll share just some of the things I found most helpful myself. We can divide this into a couple different categories. I like to think of things often as the practical things, like what can I actually go do? What are the actions I can take? And then also mindset. Like, how am I thinking about this? How am I believing about this? What do I, what do I need to do to rewire my brain so that I can think differently so I can act differently? So I'll look at just some of the practical things first and then some of the mindset stuff after. On the practical side, I really believe that, and you've heard me preach about this before, but like taking responsibility for whatever it is that we're working on just is a good starting point. When we're sitting back passively and complaining and whining and blaming everyone else, like it's just hard to get into any sort of helpful action when you're just like, everything sucks. The economy is going to shit. People are, you know, 
blame the government, blame your parents, blame society. Like it can be kind of satisfying in the moment to do that, but it doesn't actually get you anywhere. And it's pretty disempowering over time. So take responsibility, which just means that you're like, all right, I got myself here so far. So what can I do about it? When it comes to finance, I think a lot of that means knowing your numbers, by which I mean like knowing what you make or what you have, where it's going. You know, it's just like looking at your bank statements, looking at your credit card statements. I have like seven different money related tabs in Chrome and I just like open all of them every morning. And I look at Mint, I look at Credit Karma, I look at Experian, I look at, you know, I want to know my FICO score, my credit score. I want to know exactly what's in all of my checking accounts. I want to know what's in my savings accounts. I want to know what's in my retirement accounts. I have a spreadsheet where I track all of my expenses. I have a spreadsheet where I track all of my income. And it just feels so good to know that so that I can make decisions. For somebody who's not doing any of that, like it might be really overwhelming. So I say just start small, you know, tiny little baby steps. It all adds up. Another place to start is to kind of like trim the fat. Once you know your numbers and you start actually daring to look at stuff. I mean, for some people just daring to look at their online banking, like at all is a huge step forward. Once you get comfortable doing that, then you can start looking at like, okay, what are these expenses that are going through and do I actually want them? For a lot of people like canceling subscriptions you're not using, you know, there's, there's apps and things out there that are like, check to see if you have any duplicates and stuff like that. And maybe, you know, you can consider eliminating expenses that aren't necessary or that aren't meaningful. I'm a huge proponent of like not denying yourself and not, you know, living in such a restrictive way now that you don't enjoy your day to day, but just being smart, like spend consciously on the things that you value and then maybe dare to lower expenses a little bit on things that you just don't give a shit about anyway. Another practical thing can be to just set really clear goals. So being like, I want to make more money. Like, okay. But like, here, here's a dollar. You just made more money, you know? So it's like being a little bit more clear on what that means. If you want to make more, how much? Because then you can look at, okay, do I need to get a salary bump? Do I need to get a new job? Do I need to side hustle? How can I do that? So if you want to make more, how much? If you want to spend less, how much less? And where? If you want to invest, if you want to save, if you want to put money into retirement accounts, like how much, how often, where do you want to put this? So just starting to be more clear so that you can take action that's aligned with that. And I'm like, don't, don't overthink it. Just start with something, you know, even if it's like, okay, I have no savings or I have no investments, but I don't know where to just automate it. Put aside $10 a month to start 50, hundred, whatever, you know, 500, whatever's small for you. And then bump it up over time. There's so many great resources out there and platforms and apps and things. My, my personal favorites are mint.com, which is what I use for just an overall overview of my entire financial picture. I love ally for high yield savings accounts. I love Wealthfront for retirement and investment accounts. But of course, there's like a million other ones out there. Choose what works for you. Other practical things is like, you know, finding creative ways to spend less. Maybe it's cooking at home more if you eat out a lot. Maybe it's like recognizing that a lot of your eating out expenses goes to cocktails. You know, just the creative ways to tip the scales a little bit. Typically for most people, the biggest expenses, as I understand it, tend to be home car food. So rent or mortgage, you know, buying a car, leasing a car, and then the food, especially if you eat out. And like, all of the little stuff adds up, absolutely. But if you want to move more quickly toward lowering expenses, it's good to look at the big ones. I'm a huge fan of the idea of conscious spending, which I got from Ramit Sethi. He wrote the book called I Will Teach You To Be Rich. He also has a Netflix show now and a podcast. And he's a great resource. Really respect his opinion and his teachings. So those are some of the tiny practical things we can look at doing. And then my favorite part about all this is the mindset stuff. So that can look like just educating ourselves when it comes to personal finance, again, my, some of my favorite teachers are Ramit Sethi and his book, podcast, Netflix show. I also love the classic Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Guy Kawasaki and so many other great ones out there. And I don't think, you know, you don't need to be an econ major. You don't need to be like a Wall Street person. You don't need to read The Economist every single day. You can start with just really simple personal finance stuff. 
And then my favorite is not just like the personal finance stuff, like the practical stuff. It's learning more about money mindset, learning more about abundance mindset. It's changing how you think, which really changes how you see the world and how you think about life in general. I love the concept of positivity brainwashing, which to me is just consuming lots of content that's more empowering, which I do in general, but I also love to do it with money mindset stuff. I'm just going to list out some of my favorite books. Some of these are on the more woo side, but my absolute, probably my favorite, I think, is Rich as Fuck by Amanda Francis. Came out a couple years ago. She's my favorite money mindset teacher. And then some of the old school classics, which can be a little just warning if you read them in their original format. They're pretty cringy because they're written, you know, 100, 150 years ago by an old white guy. So the language can feel pretty outdated and like somewhat non-PC. So just go into it being aware of that. But Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill is a favorite. Secrets of a Millionaire Mind by T. Harv Ecker. The Science of Getting Rich by Wallace Waddles. You Are a Badass by Jensen Chero is great, but You Are a Badass at Making Money. This follow-up book, also great by Jensen Chero. And then The Soul of Money by Lynn Twist. Those are some of my favorites in terms of books you can read. Of course, there's a million podcasts about money out there too. And then of course, you can get support, hire a mentor, join a community. The one I mentioned that I'm in, so the leader is Amy Sangster. The community is called Unemployed Insiders. Very similar to Dream Life Academy that I just launched, built by the same person. So the CEO of MemberUp, which is the platform that we're using for Dream Life Academy, she's the CEO of that. She's a total baller. She's a business genius, money genius, and now the CEO of a software company. Recommend her as a potential mentor, but also lots of other mentors out there. And then if we're just working actively on changing our mindset, like this is an ongoing process. It takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. But in addition to consuming content or working with a guide of some kind, like a lot of it comes down to awareness and noticing. So noticing your thoughts, your feelings, your words, like I said, before, just notice what kind of language you use and notice what kind of language people around you use because we're so influenced by it. Like you can journal on it. You can keep a little thought log of your own thoughts about money, Um, just capturing so that you have more awareness. And then the trick is to start reframing it. So start changing your language, start changing the words, changing your thoughts, your beliefs, like change the conversations you participate in. If everyone you talk to just complains about fear about the economy and complains about their jobs and stuff, like maybe opt out of some of those conversations and find people with more similar goals and opt into those conversations. Even if you're like, I don't know what the fuck to say, but just listen to the people who are operating at the level you want to operate at. That's exactly why I joined Unemployed Insiders. Cause I was like, I want to be surrounded by, well, A, led by a guide who's amazing and has done what I'm hoping to do, but I want to be surrounded by motivated, ambitious people who also want blank, which in my case is financial freedom. So I'm like, I want to be around, I'm in this community with a hundred plus people who are like all dead set on getting financial freedom and working toward it. And it's just so helpful to have that influence versus being surrounded by people who are in like fear and panic and scarcity. Another thing to work on is emotional regulation, like learning to feel safe in your body in general, but also learning to feel safe in our bodies and manage our stress related to money. So there's a lot of things we can do and I'll bring in other experts on this because this is not my area of expertise, but I will bring in people who can teach us more about regulating our nervous systems, embodiment and all these things. But just as a little taster, when it comes to money, it's about practicing feeling safe with money. And some of the practices are embodiment practices. It can be breath work. It can be dancing. It can be different kinds of moving energy, or it could be simple things like bringing more awareness and breath to the interactions you're having. Notice how you think and feel about money while you're doing money related things. So let's say you're sitting down to pay a bill and you go into stress and anxiety every time. So that could look like sitting down to pay the bill, taking a couple deep breaths, and like kind of coaching yourself through and reframing your thoughts about it. Instead of just going into freak out, you pause and you choose something else. 
You know, like you notice your thoughts and your emotions and you shift them. One of my favorite games is finding the gratitude in everything that that would be typically like stressful. Like you're paying for something. You're like, oh my God, it's so expensive. Or you're paying your bill. You're like, oh my God, where's all my money going? Or you're paying your taxes and you're like, oh my God, I hate the government. And instead of being like, I am so grateful that I have the resources to pay taxes that I can contribute to society with, or like you're paying for an expensive coffee and it's still being like, Oh my God, this bougie coffee. I can't believe it's $8. Like I'm grateful that I get to spend consciously spend money on this item that I'm choosing to buy. And you smile at the barista and you like send them love. There's so many little games we can play that really change the actual experience of doing whatever money thing you're doing. Then there's also games you can play. Like, let's say you are someone who has never shopped in a high-end store. It would be going in to a high-end store. You're not actually shopping there. You're just you're going in there and you're practicing feeling like, hey, I belong here. Or I'm working on getting to the place where I can feel like I belong here. If you chronically talk shit about rich people, but you want to be rich, you probably won't become one because your subconscious mind is going to be like resisting the fuck out of it. So a lot of it is just getting comfortable, getting comfortable looking at your numbers, getting comfortable being around money, getting comfortable talking around money. Some of the beliefs I've adopted or that I like to be playing with that I find really, really helpful are things like money is neutral. Money is just energy. Money's just a resource. Money's a tool. Money's not good or bad. It's just a resource and a tool with which you can do cool shit. Like we are the ones that assign value to it. It is not inherently good or bad. It's zeros and ones in an online account or it's paper or it's whatever format it's in. It's so much more about the intention you have for money and what you're doing with it and the impact you're having. Money doesn't make you evil or greedy. It usually just kind of amplifies what you already are. There's like, of course you can do bad things with money, but you can also do so much good. Most of us really don't have the kind of like financial blueprint to handle something outside of what we're comfortable with. So this is really interesting when it comes to say lottery winners. I forget the stats on it exactly, but it's something like some shocking percentage of them are actually out of money and have filed bankruptcy within five years or something like that. And that very clearly to me is because they don't have the like internal state to handle that amount of money because they're used to whatever they're used to. Some money teachers talk about this as energetic set points, which I love. Like we have kind of a low number and a high number. So it's like, I will never earn below X because like, of course, I'm never, you know, going to not pay my rent or of course, I'm never going to whatever it is. But most of us also have like a higher one. And so it becomes this interesting thing where you kind of get to do like some mindset and energetic work to break past that. Like, I know I will never make below X because that would be ridiculous. I wouldn't let that happen, but also can't imagine making more than Y. So then how do we break past that? You know, so it's like this experience of starting to feel confident holding more before you actually have it and trusting yourself to manage it. Like personal example for years and years in my early career, all I wanted to do, I just want to make a hundred thousand dollars. I just want to break six figures. First, I thought I wanted it in a job. And then I started my business. I was like, all I want to do is break six figures in business. I finally did it in 2018. And then it was like, I wanted it for so long that once I finally got it, it became this like new energetic set point. It was like my energetic minimum. I was like, I am not available to go below that. And interestingly, I have not, I've come close. I've like just squeaked past it, but I can now celebrate that this will be my sixth year as a six figure business owner, which is really awesome. And it's like, to me, that's proof that this is my energetic set point. But then we can also look at what is your higher end of that. Like if I, you know, one of my goals is to hit seven figures and to be making seven figures every year in my business, I'm nowhere near that. And I know it's my goal, but I also understand that I'm not there yet, mentally, emotionally, energetically. Like I, I don't think I would trust myself to handle that amount of revenue. I also don't have the infrastructure or the team to handle it. I'm not entirely sure what I would do with it if it was coming, you know? So it's like, I also know that I'll get there, but I know I've got work to do. I've got practical work to do. And also some mindset and energetic work to get to a place where I can actually hold that and sustain it. So that can be an interesting question to ask yourself is like, what is your range? What is your energetic minimum? What is your energetic maximum? 
And it, it can usually be pretty easy to figure out because you can look at the last couple of years and kind of be like, what range have I been in? So your homework, if you want to go there, is to either just reflect or journal ideally on your relationship with money. Think about it like if money was a person, how would I feel about our relationship? You know, is it fun and playful? Is it stressful and anxious? Do you feel calm and confident? Is it exciting? Is it motivating? And once you recognize where it's at now, then you can think about what you want it to be. You know, if it's stressful and full of shame and guilt and resentment and judgment now, but you want it to be playful and fun and sexy and exciting and adventurous, like you probably got a little work to do to close the gap. And then part two of the homework is, is there any practical action you want to take? So this could look like setting up a mint.com account or creating a retirement account for the first time, or just starting to track your numbers, whatever it is. If you have any questions on any of this, again, I'm not a financial advisor. I am not an expert, but I'm so happy to share my own experience. And I'm so happy to share my favorite tools. So feel free to reach out and DM me on Instagram or email me or wherever you want to find me. Recap on this episode, I shared my own personal money story, which is a bit embarrassing, but hopefully it has inspired you in some way and shared about money as a relationship and why that's helpful as an outlook. And then some of the ways that we can change our relationship with money for the better, whether it means the practical tools or the mindset stuff. And your homework is to reflect on your relationship with money and then commit to any practical action that you want to take. If this episode was helpful to you, I would love it if you could take a screenshot as you're listening right now, and then just share it on social and tag me. Or if social media is not your thing, I would love it if you could go into whatever app you're using, Apple or Spotify, and rate and review that show. That helps us so much to get the word out or to send it to a friend. And reminder that Dream Life Academy, DLA, my new lifestyle design membership and community is officially open. And I'm so celebrating the eight people so far that are in there as of this recording on October 12th. And we're kind of getting into some of the routines. We're doing daily GCI. So if you want to participate in having a place to share your daily GCI and to read other people is a great place to come. There's also a daily spark question, which is like a journaling prompt that you can answer. And there's also other cool stuff coming soon. We're going to start having live calls. There will be content for the online course that I need to drip out um, and lots of just platform upgrades and things happening. And eventually there's also a mobile app coming, which I'm so excited about. I would love to have you as a founding member. It is only $47 a month for founding members. You can cancel anytime. Super easy. So if you want to be around people who are supporting each other while we all design and create our dream lives, I would love for you to join us. Thank you. I love you. And I will see you in the next episode. And I hope to see you inside the DLA community as well. Bye.